Right. If you have a uh, a Bible or a smartphone, uh, please turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1. We have done a series in the book of Acts called Gospel, Church, Kingdom, three big themes through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And I want to recap very, very quickly the first two messages that Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote Luke's Gospel, Acts and Luke form one unit. And they are 28 chapters comprising about 30 years of salvation history. Uh, they're the beginning of the church uh, from AD 32 or so to uh, right through to AD 62. And uh, much of what is found in the book of Acts is found nowhere else. And what is happening right here at the beginning of Acts is that Jesus is spending his last moments with his disciples before his ascension. And uh, we saw that his disciples, last week we saw that the disciples were asking him about the kingdom of God. Will you now, Jesus, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were wondering, now Jesus died and rose again, now that that's all done, surely Romans to be kicked out of this area and Israel shall now take over. And the disciples were wondering if they would perhaps be the generals in God's army and they would be ruling over the Romans and everyone else in this new national kingdom of Israel. Jesus says, no. No. We saw that the kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom is present wherever the reign of Jesus Christ is. And rather than excluding Jews and Greeks and Romans and all those kind of people, it actually unites them into one church, all living in the kingdom of God. The kingdom brings separation only between those who believe in Jesus Christ and those who don't believe. So we saw a correction on the disciples' understanding of the kingdom of God. And now we come to the ascension. The ascension is the hinge on which Luke and Acts separate. It is the event that matters. It is written about in both Luke and Acts. The end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. The ascension of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we tend to spend a lot of time talking about the death of Jesus Christ. We spend a lot of time talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At Christmas time, we uh, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ into the world as a baby. And uh, of course, Easter is coming up. That's about the death of Jesus Christ, Good Friday, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. But the ascension doesn't get a lot of airtime. It's often overlooked. And no good statement of faith that any church holds to amidst the ascension. Every church statement of faith has the ascension of Jesus Christ written in there somewhere. The Apostles' Creed, which was not written by the Apostles, but was a summary of the Apostles' teaching that the early, was written in the early church, that mentions that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. But very few people can articulate 
So what? So what? And in just over 30 minutes this morning, we're going to be able to answer those quest, that question. So what? So what about the ascension? The ascension is a vital doctrine, and it is also historical fact. It actually happened. And without it, we cannot begin to have the rest of the New Testament. If there's no ascension, you can throw out most of your Bible, because it is impossible without the ascension of Christ. Salvation as we know it does not exist without the ascension. And that makes it important. So we're going to do this in two parts. What is the ascension? And then we're going to look at what does it mean for us? I'll bring four things uh, from, from Scripture. I will say right off the bat, I'm going to reference a lot of texts. And Lord willing, this is going to be something that whets your appetite for more. As you're reading the Bible, as you're reading the New Testament, you'll start seeing evidences of the ascension of Christ. So what is it, and so what? What does it mean for us? Let's start by reading Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. In the ascension, Jesus leaves his disciples. He leaves the earth. And if you can imagine what it must have been like for the disciples at this moment. They'd been observers of Jesus' ministry for three years. They'd been his closest companion. Jesus literally was their best friend. That Jesus leaves them must seem to them to be the First news possible. Imagine losing a friend like Jesus. That must be tremendously crushing. And in John 16, we are told that Jesus had told the disciples that they would be sorrowful when he left them. But eventually their sorrow would turn into joy. I think it would be helpful for us to, to get a little bit more of a fuller picture by also reading uh, the Ascension account at the end of Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke chapter uh, 24, verses 50 to 53. Uh, same author, same, same story being written about. There are not two Ascensions, there's just one Ascension, uh, but they're so important that we're put in both volumes. 
Luke 24, verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. We notice something in their reaction there. They leave with joy despite the person they love the most, their best friend, leaving them. How on earth is it possible? Most of us feel sadness when we leave people that were, when we lose people that are even remotely close to us. The reason the disciples were able to have joy in Jesus leaving them in his ascension was they came to believe that it was better for Jesus to ascend than for him to remain on earth. That is the crux of the matter. It is better for Jesus to ascend than for him to remain on earth. They grasped that. And we, I believe, as Christians, should also grasp something of this belief ourselves. My definition of the ascension, I'm not going to just assume everyone knows what this is. We, the ascension is a historical event whereby the resurrected Jesus Christ rose bodily into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Does that make sense? A historical event where the resurrected Jesus Christ rose bodily into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. That is what the resurrection was. We notice, though, that there's only a small band of people that see this. Paul says that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were at least 500 eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus rose from the grave and walked the earth 40 days. But in the ascension, it was only the small band, the small band of disciples. But Luke, as he's writing in the book of Acts, is making absolutely certain that the disciples witnessed this event. It says five times in, in various ways that they were looking at Jesus, that they saw Jesus, that they, they were watching it, that it happened. They were looking. Jesus didn't just vanish. They watched him ascend. Jesus did not disappear into thin air, nor did he continue to live on earth. He ascended. Luke writes in such a way that he is clearly recording an actual historical event. And even those that choose to deny some of the miraculous aspects of the Bible will say that Luke was clearly saying this happened. I want to deal very briefly with the fact that this was a historical event and therefore we need to be able to defend it. Firstly, people people like to say if there's anything miraculous in Scripture, any healings or anything of that sort, it's people like to say that there needs to be something that you can explain in normal life that's close to this miraculous event and then it becomes believable. So... Maybe some, some kind of healing. Someone healed from cancer. Well, someone will say, I was healed by cancer by God, by, by an apostle. 
or I was crippled and lame and I was healed. Well, people will say, well, we can make somewhat crippled people walk again through physiotherapy and modern medicine. Therefore, it's believable. Does that make sense? It's got to be something that's fairly close to something that happens in regular life before it can be believed. However, I would argue that events like the Incarnation, the Virgin Birth, the Resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the Ascension are so clearly one-offs that we can believe them to be miraculous simply because they are not repeated again. The ascension happens once. The resurrection happens once. The virgin birth happens once. That helps us. Because nowhere is the Bible trying to say that this is a normative event and we should start expecting people to ascend to heaven left, right, and center. Oh, did you hear about John last week? Uh, he ascended. Oh, really? Give me proof. Oh, did you hear about Mary? She had a... Mary down in Hakafitu, she had a virgin birth last week. No. No. The fact that there are one-offs helps us believe that they are true and they're miraculous. God is obviously doing this, and they're not normative. Let's make no mistake. God is the one that raised Jesus Christ from the dead through the Holy Spirit, and God is the one that ascends Jesus into heaven. Jesus didn't have the ability to fly. God raised him up according to to his plan. No one rose, no one ascended like Jesus ascended. Some people that know their Bibles will, will hearken back to Genesis chapter 5 about Enoch. Enoch was apparently a man that never tasted death. But Enoch didn't ascend in the same way that Jesus did. Because the reason, the key reason for the ascension was not present in Enoch's life. The key reason for the ascension relates to the kingdom of God. Tying this right back to what we looked at last week. Jesus ascended to the Father that he might receive a kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God, under the reign of a real king. Might be very helpful, perhaps if you can turn there, to turn there quickly to Daniel chapter 7. But many people look at some of the prophecies in the book of Daniel and they, they assume they're all entirely future. We know that Jesus used the term the, the Son of Man. He called himself the Son of Man. And that phrase is found in the book of Daniel describing Christ hundreds and hundreds of years before he lived on this earth. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. 
So one like a son of man was presented before the ancient of days, before the Father. Verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What is being prophesied about in Daniel chapter 7? The ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father that he might rule and reign from heaven. That is what is being pictured. And perhaps to give some more of an understanding of the miraculous here, we see uh, that in in Luke's account, in, in the book of Acts, that there were two angels, two men in white, standing, watching the disciples as Jesus went up. We'll know also that there were two uh, angels in white at after the resurrection of Jesus' tomb, clearly picturing that this is a miraculous event that God has done. While the disciples were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Why were they looking up? Why would you look up as Jesus? Why would you keep looking up after he's gone? Because they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to see him. They were looking up. Makes total sense. Every one of us would have done the exact same thing. But the angels ask him, why are you looking up? They're not telling them off because they're looking up. He's trying to teach them something. The angels intended that the disciples would no longer require the bodily, physical presence of Christ with them, but instead they would value his spiritual presence. That's what they're doing. They say to him, Christ has ascended. He will come back the exact same way. He goes now to save, to inherit his kingdom. He will come to judge. And he says to them, why do you look up? You have a task. You have a commission. Jesus ascends. Don't keep looking up. Now look down and go. Go make disciples of all nations. Go and fulfill the apostolic commission, which is written in verse 8. Go do this. You have your Savior in heaven, and he's promised to send the Spirit. So what does this mean for us? So what? We weren't there. What possible benefit does this have to me in 2017? Question 49 of the Heidelberg Catechism gives a very nice framework which I'm using uh, to understand what the ascension means for us. Firstly, I'm going to have to go fast through these. Firstly, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. That's the first reason. First John chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. As our advocate, Jesus brings us to God who we once had enmity with, and also he prays for us. He intercedes for us. 
All throughout the Old Testament, we understand that God is holy and he is righteous and he is just and he has wrath against sin, against those that have rebelled against his rule. How is it that Jesus could bring us to God? Many people try and portray Jesus' intercession and prayer on our behalf as as basically being that God is the Father is an angry, old, grumpy man, and Jesus is just this lovely, total sweetheart, and whatever Jesus wants, he gets. And so therefore, God hates you, but Jesus likes you, so he just makes it. He makes God, brings you around onto his team, you know, just like most like daughters are so good at doing, you know. People have that sort of understanding of what Jesus, how Jesus brings us to God, but that's not the case. Jesus reconciles us to God and is able to be our advocate, not because he makes God relax his holiness, not because God, he makes God relaxes justice, but because he satisfies God's justice on the cross. He takes upon himself the wrath of God. We just sung about that. He took upon himself the wrath of God for sin at the cross. He satisfies the justice of God. And that is why the gospel is the greatest demonstration of the love of God at the cross, because it was so necessary for our salvation. It was entirely necessary that Jesus satisfies the righteous demands of God and allows us to come to him. And so Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, and he looks down at his followers of earth, and he says, Mine, I have forgiven him. Mine, I have forgiven her. In the ascension, Jesus' role not only as king over his kingdom, but also his role as priest who reconciles us to God, and we can go, therefore, to God. Because of the ascension of Jesus Christ, as believers, we are able to go boldly to God when we sin. We're able to go boldly to God in prayer. The throne of judgment becomes instead a throne of grace. That is what the ascension does. Calvin writes, Jesus Christ fills with grace and kindness the throne of God that for miserable sinners would otherwise have been filled with dread. That's because of the ascension. The ascension is littered throughout the New Testament, and we skip over it so easily. Romans 8, 33 We love that passage. It's read so much. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is interceding for us. I read this week uh, a quote by Mike Jones, who wrote a wonderful book called Knowing Christ. And he says in that book, If Jesus Christ intercedes for you once, 
Right? Jesus Christ prays for you once. You're as good as glorified. You're, it's, it's done. It's done. It will happen for you. Absolutely. That's what Paul's able to say at the end of Romans 8. That those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he shall also glorify. It's an unbroken chain. Because Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's able to, to dispense salvation. He prays for us for needs that we don't know we have. He prays for us against enemies that we don't know we have. He prays for us against temptations we don't even yet know are coming. And he prays for us that we might be saved. I've asked a few people this question over the years. And I say to them, would you feel more confident if you knew Jesus was in the next room praying for you? Would you feel more confident if you knew that Jesus was in the next room praying for you? Most people will say yes. Oh, great, he was right there. That's, that's awesome. Robert Murray McChain, the Scottish preacher, has a famous quote, and I want to read it. He says, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. True. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. That is the ascension. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven. Christ, our head. And he pledges that he will take us up to himself. That's a mouthful, but simply we have our own flesh in heaven. John 14 is not just for funerals. It gets read a lot. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I will take you to myself, that, I, that where I am, you may be also. Big idea. Jesus is fully God, fully man. There is in heaven someone, the perfect man, the perfect Savior, who is able to save us because he is God and he is like us as a human, and he sits at the right hand of the Father as a guarantee that all those who belong to him will one day receive that blessing of full salvation. We do not await for the hope of heaven. We do not await for the hope of a glorified body with basically a baseless hope. A false hope, an empty hope. We don't have that. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of the Father because he is there. All those who belong to him shall be with him. This is an immense, immense blessing. If you read through the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2, it's so, so rich about us being in sin, but God. Saving us. There's a bit about the ascension in there. 
But God, Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Christian, therefore, is so connected to Jesus Christ that as as he sits at the right hand of the Father, so too that is our spiritual state. I remain here on earth, but I am seated with him in the heavenly places as a guarantee that he will finish this plan of salvation that he began. An immense privilege that our Savior is not with us. He is where we shall go. Third, he sends his spirit to us on earth. That's huge. Without this, there is no book of Acts. It doesn't exist. Jesus is only able to be in one place at one time. He has a human, physical body. Yes, a glorified one after his resurrection. This is helpful because we we realize that his ascension is not witnessed by hundreds of people. It's not witnessed by thousands of people. It's not an event that millions of people see. People in Europe, Africa, didn't wake up and look out the window and see this great cloud of glory and Jesus ascending into heaven and millions of people talked about it. They didn't. He was only capable of being in one place at one time. So, he must send his helper. Before Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 could come, then the Holy Spirit could be poured out upon the church and empowering the church for its missionary enterprise to the whole world, it was necessary for Jesus to ascend to the right hand of the Father so that together with the Father he might dispatch the Holy Spirit in all of his power. The Father and the Son together send the Spirit. If Jesus were to remain on earth, the Holy Spirit would not come. Hugely important. And therefore, the Spirit, Luke calls at the end of Luke's Gospel, Luke calls the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit's role is to point to Christ, to convict millions of people, to encourage, to build up millions of people. Hundreds of thousands of churches to instruct in truth, to regenerate, to provide assurance. Jesus was not capable of doing those things on his own, but he is capable of doing them from the Father's right hand in sending his Spirit. So the ascension means that the Spirit is sent. And lastly, By the Spirit's power, we are able to seek not the things that are earthly, but the things above where Christ is. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, and I will resist the temptation to preach on this text again. I love it. It's one of my favorites. But one of the great 
passages is Colossians 3, 1 to 4 on sanctification? How does one grow in grace? How does one become Christ-like and mature? Paul grounds our growth in the fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, that our hope is in heaven. He says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. The ascension is what allows us to set our heart on the heavenly things. It allows us to set our hearts on the gospel and it allows us to set our our ultimate hope with Christ who is in heaven. We are that connected to him. If you're a Christian, I hope you desire to be with Jesus. I just hope you desire to, to pray with him. I hope, I hope you desire to be like him. I hope you desire to be with him one day and away from the difficulties and the sin and the struggles and the pain that is inherent on earth. I hope you wish to be with him in the new creation that he has won through his blood. The ascension sets our mind on that. Reality. It sets our mind on the fact that Christ is not with us, but we go to Him. And we already are seeing God's sight as being righteous and with Him. There's a huge benefit. It frames the Christian life. In Christ Jesus, you are secure. The Christian can no longer be thrown from heaven and kept out of heaven and kept out of God's favor unless Christ himself was thrown from the Father's right hand. You're that connected as a believer by faith to Jesus. The Father will not boot the Son from his right hand. Therefore, he will not boot you when you sin. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It is the ascension that makes that possible. There remains now a brief time where the gates of salvation are open. The angels at the ascension said to the disciples that this Jesus will come again the same way that he ascended. He rose first to save, he comes the second time to gather those who he saves and then to judge. The ascension frames the last days of human history. The gates are open now. But when the king comes to reign visibly, those gates will shut. That gives us an urgency as the church to know that when, while Christ is away from us, salvation is possible. When Christ returns, we receive our salvation. But those that do not know him will be put out from the kingdom. None of this is possible without the ascension. So to summarize that, we have an advocate because Jesus has ascended. We have an advocate with the Father. Our own head is in heaven as a guarantee. Third, he sends the Holy Spirit. And fourthly, 
He sets our minds on heavenly things. Salvation is not possible without this. Let's give thanks.